Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Lord, help our faith be more than mere words. Help our faith be more than mere assertions. Help our faith be the foundation upon which we build our lives. And may our lives, built upon that faith, truly bless the world around us. So Lord, now, as we turn to your word that we confess is holy and inerrant and infallible, it is your word to us, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak your word into our hearts. Transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we leave this experience, we leave more like Jesus. For it's in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. You might be familiar with the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. As time passes, names fade and stories can fade as well. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer's is a story that does not need to fade into antiquity. No, we need to remember people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes of the faith. He was a, a German pastor and theologian who stood against Nazism as it was rising in Germany. And in fact, he became a leading spokesman for what was called the Confessing Church, which also opposed Nazism. In 1935, he organized a secret seminary at a place called Finkenwald, where he taught personal spiritual disciplines. And in 1937, he wrote what has become the Christian classic known as the cost of discipleship. He was arrested on April the 5th, 1943 for helping Jews escape to Switzerland. And in 1944, he was tied to a plot to assassinate Hitler. So while he was imprisoned, he didn't stop ministering to people. He wrote a book entitled Letters and Papers from Prison, but he also ministered to his fellow prisoners. In fact, he conducted a service just 18 hours before he died. He was hanged at Flossenburg on April the 9th, 1945, less than one month away from VE Day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a hero of the faith because his faith was lived out in a way that benefited other people. His faith was lived out in a way that was costly to him. It cost him his life. But he so trusted Jesus that he would do whatever it took to make his world a better place. In fact, he had come over to study in New York and had the opportunity to stay here and stay out of what was happening in Germany. But with his pastor's heart, he said, no, I can't abandon the people to whom God has called me. So he went back. He went back and got in the middle of it to rescue those who were being slaughtered and to speak the truth of the gospel to those who were there. There were many churches that were sanctioned by the state because they they didn't oppose Nazism. They affirmed it. The Nazis didn't mind them. But that's not where Dietrich Bonhoeffer carried out his ministry. He couldn't. He couldn't affirm that which God would condemn. And it cost him his life. In the cost of discipleship, he differentiated between what he called cheap grace and what he called costly grace. And he said cheap grace had become prevalent in the church of his day. And I would say that cheap grace remains prevalent in the church. What is cheap grace? Well, this is what Bonhoeffer said. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. 
Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace comes cheap. He differentiated between cheap grace and costly grace. He said costly grace is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Bonhoeffer reminds us that the call of Jesus is more than simply a call to absolution. The call of Jesus is more than simply a call to be forgiven, although it is both of those things. But the call of Jesus is a call to transformation. It's a call to daily die to myself so that I might be transformed to become more like Jesus. After all, it was Jesus who said this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Bonhoeffer would say that cheap grace is justification of the sin without justification of the sinner. Costly grace is the transformation of the sinner through a lifelong process of sanctification. He reminds us that true grace brings about change, and it really does. And we affirm that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, according to the, to the, to the almighty power of God alone, to His glory. But that grace must transform us. Today we're going back to James. And every week, as we go through James, we have the same warning. Watch your toes. God's going to step on them. He's stepped on mine all week. But I want to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 2. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, we are not on page 1011. For the first time in several weeks, we are now on page 1012. And we'll be there for the next several weeks. <laughs> but today, we're really going to see the crux of the matter we're going to see the centrality of James's argument from which this entire series derives its name. Today's theme is this, by faith we work. By faith we work. Today we're just going to look at verses 14 through 17, but there is a lot here. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you to surrender yourself with me to Almighty God and say, Lord, give me your costly grace that will cost me my life, but will give me the only true life available in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of missionary Jim Elliott, who said he is no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. James writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, I'm sure when we get to the Beyond Sunday podcast this week, those of you who listen to that, I'm sure Jordan's going to ask me a lot of questions about this passage, but let's look for just a moment at what God says through James, the brother of Jesus, as James is carried along by the Holy Spirit. The first thing he says is actually a question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And our first point is this. By faith, we check our beliefs. By faith, we check our beliefs, and it is a good thing for us to check our beliefs. What do I believe about the faith? What do I believe about my faith? Can my faith save me? Those are hard questions to ask, but they're good questions to ask because one day judgment is coming. And if I examine myself now in light of Christ's revelation, if I examine myself now in light of what God has said, if I examine myself now according to what Jesus has said, through the Word of God about what it means to be saved, then I don't have any reason to be afraid of Judgment Day. However, if I'm embracing some sort of cheap grace that says, I'm good, I prayed a prayer one time, then I need to check my beliefs. What do I believe about the faith? I heard a comedian one time, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the comedian because frankly, I wouldn't recommend it. But I heard a comedian one time who had he had made some derogatory remarks about the church or whatever. And he said, he said, you gotta know your religion. All I gotta do when I make a mistake as a Christian is say a prayer and I'm forgiven. He said, it's like an Etch-a-Sketch, never happened. Now I know some of you in the room may be wondering what an Etch-a-Sketch is. That's this thing with knobs and you draw and then you shake it and the picture you drew goes away. Well, the problem with this comedian's understanding and then therefore assertion of the Christian faith is that's not, that's not it. Listen, God's not going to be mocked. God's not going to be mocked. And we don't get one over on God. It's not that, that I just live however I want and then pray a prayer and the etch-a-sketch is shaken and it's all gone. That's, it's that I come to God by His grace and his grace is transformative, not permissive. Does that make sense? Grace doesn't say, just do whatever you want. No, grace says, I will make you more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, in Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What does that mean? Should I just keep doing what God has condemned so that I can say, oh, grace, grace, God's grace? No, that's not it. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this journey of Christianity that is exemplified and symbolized by baptism is that when I come to Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. That's why we say, may you be buried in Christ and risen in Christ. The old you is gone, crucified with Christ, buried with Christ. The new you is here. Is the new you perfect? Nope, not yet. That's coming in glory. 
But you have been declared to be justified by God and you are now being sanctified by God to become more like Christ, such that the trajectory of your life should be Christward. Right? So, so people have asked me before, well, can I pray the sinner's prayer and not be saved? Sure. You can recite words that have no impact in your life. Can I get baptized and not be saved? Yes. You can, you can have a wet head and still go to hell. Because that's not what saves us. What saves us is placing our faith in Jesus and saying, Lord, I'll follow you. What was Jesus' universal call to every would-be disciple in the New Testament? Pray this prayer, go through a ritual, and you're good. Is that what he said? That's not what he said at all. What did he say? Follow me. And what did that cost his disciples? their lives. For, for Simon and Andrew, it was a fishing business. For James and John, it was a family fishing business. For Matthew, it was a remarkably lucrative tax collecting endeavor. It cost them something. But Jim Elliot said, he's no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. In other words, it is grace because though it costs us the old us, it invites us to life in Christ, who is the way, the truth, the life, who is the only way by which we can come into everlasting life. So, we trust him enough to follow him. When John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, he meant it. Do you know why? Because he had been involved in the selling of human beings for his profit. He was involved in the slave trade. So when he said, I was a wretch, he wasn't joking. He sold people, profited greatly from it. And then he came to Christ. And do you know what happened when he came to Christ? All of a sudden, he was awakened to the reality that selling human beings was not okay. So he quit selling human beings. Much later, he would say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right, so there's got to be this transformative working of God's grace in our lives. That's evidence of our salvation. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, okay? It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means that in Christ I'm becoming more like Jesus over time. It doesn't mean we won't stumble, but there's a difference between a stumble and a swan dive. Can I get an amen? Right? Okay, next verses. 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The second point is this, by faith we check our actions. So the first point was by faith we check our beliefs. Second point, by faith we check our actions. How do our beliefs play out in our lives? Once I've looked at my faith, and my beliefs, and do my beliefs line up with what God has said or what I just prefer? If my beliefs line up with what God has said, then, then okay, I understand that's step one into salvation as I trust and follow Jesus, but now I follow Jesus. Now I allow that faith to come out of me. And James gives us um, an illustration. He said, somebody comes up to you, they're cold and they're hungry, and you give them some great encouraging words. Go be warmed and well-fed. What, what good have you just done? 
You encourage them, that's great. They're still hungry and cold. You know, every Monday and Wednesday, we host helping hands here. Food pantry, people come who are in need of food. And you know what wonderful servants of God who are in this room do every week? They give them food and they pray with them and they talk with them about Jesus. Now listen, we are not simply a food bank. We can give people food and they can still die and go to hell. So we are a gospel-centered church that gives out food because of Christ in us. We, we invest in Hope House. We partner with Hope House. We partner with Meals on Wheels. We partner with Refuge BG. We partner with all, uh, all sorts of entities throughout our city, throughout our state, and even all around the world to meet people's needs. But listen, those needs matter and we must meet them. But the gospel has to be central because you can have a full belly and still go to hell. So we want to give them the gospel, the opportunity to respond in faith to Jesus as we meet their need as well. Notice that's what Jesus did. He was preaching the truth to a multitude and looked at them and said, they got to be hungry. How are we going to feed them? The disciples said, I don't know. Jesus said, well, what do we have? Some loaves and fishes. Jesus said, I'll take care of their bellies. How many of you have found you listen a little better when your belly is not growling at you as lunch approaches? Faith works itself out. Later in Romans 6, Paul said, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin bears fruit, Christ bears fruit. And the fruit of Christ is the fruit of the Spirit. It is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. God calls us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It is the fruit that only His Spirit can produce. It is the fruit that His Spirit brings out of us and through which the Spirit blesses others. Verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Third point. By faith, we work. By faith, we work. Now, let me be abundantly clear, because here in the Bible Belt, we like to sing songs like the one Alan Jackson sang about where he comes from. What does he say they do where he comes from? Those of you who like country music will understand. He said, he said where I come from, we work hard to get to heaven. That's not how it works. I love Alan Jackson. Don't trust his theology. We don't work hard to get to heaven. No, we surrender to the grace of God through Jesus Christ to get to heaven. But once we surrender to the grace of God through Jesus Christ, guess what God does? He puts heaven in us. He gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit. So when I surrender my life to Jesus, now I've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes out of me and produces fruit. It's, it's the paradigm of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. 
Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's eight and nine. We are not saved by works. We are saved by God's grace through faith. And even our faith is not something we can boast about. No, it is a gift of God. Our salvation is not by works. None of us can boast about being saved. None of us can say, look what I've done. Look how good I am. None of us will stand before the judgment throne of Almighty God and say, Lord, you're welcome. We're not going to do it. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. But don't miss verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. But listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not saved by good works. Please be clear. We're not sending lumber up to heaven. We're not working hard to get to heaven. That's not it. If God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? There is one answer. Jesus Christ died, rose again, and I have placed every ounce of my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. That's the only answer. It's not, I'm a pretty good person. It's not, I'm better than my neighbor. Because guess what? You're somebody's neighbor and they're better than you. That's not it. The standard of heaven is the perfection of Jesus Christ. And every one of us has missed that because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Christ alone, Jesus alone lived a life without sin. He is the standard. We don't compare ourselves to our neighbor. We compare ourselves to Christ. And when we compare ourselves to Christ, we are all in trouble. So what what must we rely on? We must rely on Christ's righteousness gifted to us when we come to him in repentance and faith. That's my only hope of heaven. But listen, once heaven's in me, then God expects heaven to come out of me in good works. Works that bless the city. That's, that's why, Maestro, we're having a big concert in October down at Skypack. We're going to sing about the wondrous work of God. We're going to play. I'm not going to play. Really talented people are going to play about the wondrous gift of God through Jesus Christ. It's going to be amazing. But why are we doing that to bless the city? Well, because Christ is in us, and, and if Christ is in us, then that, why do we do Helping Hands? Why do we do Hope House? Why do we do Refuge BG? Why are we a part of all of these organizations, Meals on Wheels? Why do we do Tornado Relief? Why do we do the Eliza Broadus Offering, or the Lottie Moon Offering, or the Annie Armstrong Offering? Why do we give to Cooperative Program? Why do we give to Disaster Relief? Because Christ is in us, and that flows out of us. So, this verse is hard. And some theologians throughout the years have rejected the entire letter of James because of this one little verse. And I've put it at the bottom of your notes. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But if we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then that faith will work. That faith will give. That faith 
will labor. That faith will bear fruit. That faith will show the world the love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness of Almighty God flowing through us. That faith will make the world around us better. That faith will make, will make the corner of 12th and Chestnut sacred ground, not just because there's a church building sitting here, but because God's church filled with His Spirit is here and the world is better because of it. Faith without works is not bearing fruit. Jesus tells us that His Spirit bears fruit. So the, the call to all of us is, what does our fruit look like? You know, it's interesting, in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the return of Christ and that when He comes, all the nations will be gathered in front of Him and He'll do some separating. The sheep and the goats. The sheep He'll have on His right, the goats on His left. And what's interesting is the, the rubric for the judgment is what they have done. But get this, what they have done is the outworking of what's going on in here. So when he says to those on his right that you, uh, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison when you and you came to me, and inasmuch as doing this unto the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. He's talking about the outworking of that which is inside. And when he says to the others, you didn't do any of those things. For inasmuch as you didn't do it to the least of these brothers of mine, you didn't do it unto me. He's not talking about the works themselves. He's talking about the outworking of what's going on in here. Well, let me ask us a question as we prepare to leave. This week, how will what's going on in here bless those who are out there? Father, we love you. We pray, Lord, that we would be the sort of people who live by your grace and help others see your glory and your love in us. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.